welcome to Gin and Gentlemen with me, Eleanor Harkstead, bringing the gin. And accompanied by a stage full of thespian gentlemen, Catherine Curzon. And why have you brought all these actory chaps with you today, Catherine? I've, I've brought my thespians with me today because we are winding the clock back. And in today's Gin and Gentlemen, we're going to be talking a little bit about the first short story we ever published, An Actor's Guide to Romance. Indeed. And it came out in January 2018. It did. Uh, we wrote it sometime in 2017. 17. Sorry, I can't, I can't go back. In 2020 we wrote it. In 2020. We travelled through time. Um, yeah, so, 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 it's, so we wrote it nearly two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So where did the idea come from? Well, if you it? remember the very first paragraph, existed before I knew you so that must have been written I don't know when but because I'd had an idea and again I don't know where the idea came from about theatrical rivals who become um lovers mm. after acting together um but I can't remember where the idea came from but I wrote the opening paragraph and then I think I probably just had other projects I had to do mm. so it got put aside really mm. Um, and then I think one day we were talking. I said, "Oh, I've I've had this. I've got this idea, mm. and the opening paragraph already exists. So I'll send it to you and see what you think." Yeah, I think is that right? I think so. I think so because I think we'd written Captain the Cavalry Trooper, then we wrote The Man in Room Four Two Three, which is coming your way soonish. Yeah, in several months actually. Um, and then I think that was then the so it would probably the third thing we wrote together. Yeah. Um, but was weirdly the first thing that was published. Um, yeah, and you just sort of said, oh, this would work. And I think it worked partly because of the, the, the infamous sandbox Yeah. that we thought that the actors could be modelled on two of the characters from the sandbox. The sandbox. Yeah. But it's also, it's because it is only a short story, um, which is why it's it's only 99p on Amazon worldwide on 99 cents so you should go and buy it for that because it's a bargain but because it is a short story as well it's a really simple conceit yeah so it was something that was like a sort of plug and play if you like mm. that we knew where you know it had it's it's one not even one night is it really mm. it's a three yeah. two or three hours in the lives yeah it starts off it's just they're just finishing a rehearsal for the evening mm. um one of them, they both go off their separate ways, and then one of them, Tom Fox, and shall up... we sorry introduce oh, yes. the characters? Yes, let's yeah. introduce the characters. So, Tom Fox, I wrote Tom. He's a very uh, sensible, sorted sort of uh, character. Very uh, sort of steady and reliable. Steady and reliable sort of character. And in fact, he doesn't like being called Tom. He likes being called Thomas. Thomas. Because he says if he's called Tom Fox, he sounds like a character from Wind in the Willows. <laughs> so making his life miserable, really, ever since they were at drama school together, is Adam Fisher, who is um, pretty much the opposite to Tom in every respect. So he's mm. living, he lives life large. Yes. Um, he's very, very... Tom's not not out, but Adam is very out. Yeah. So Adam's an activist, and he's, he's sort of pride parade. Pride parade, out, yeah. Um, and his sexuality is really important to who he is. Um, and he too is an actor. And I think that we've said it in the past that if you were casting, say you were casting Darcy and Wickham, Tom would be Darcy and Adam would be Wickham. It would be that kind of thing, wouldn't it? Yeah. But between the sort of the rather uptight, quiet sort of chap. Yeah, and the sort of rogue with a twinkle in his eye. Yeah. 
Um, so we find out that they went to the same drama school. They're the same age. I think by the time we see them in the book, they're in their early 40s. Yeah. And that each, until when he got to the drama audition, each was the best mm. until they met the other. Yeah. So it was kind of from that moment on, there was a rivalry. Yeah. Um, and I think we established, don't we, they pretty much won the same number of awards. Yeah. And one, you know, if one's played whatever, one's played Hamlet, say then they will play Macbeth, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that they're, they're match for match, basically. Yes. That each is as good as the other. And it drives them both a little bit up the wall, doesn't it? Yes, but with a, with a saucy frisson. Saucy frisson. <laughs> um, and when we joined them, they just finished a rehearsal, as um, Eleanor was saying, they finished rehearsal for a play in which they play lovers. Mm. And they're struggling because they have to kiss and they just don't want to kiss. Now, is it that Thomas is, every time he goes to kiss Adam, Adam's like saying he's got bad breath. Yeah, he's, he's going on about, ooh. Oh, he smells like onion. You, you had an onion for lunch and Thomas goes, it was a shallot. A shallot. Because <laughs> he takes himself super seriously, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, and, but basically because they, they, this is the hottest ticket in town because these mm. are, it's not just, you know, they're not, they're not mildly famous. It's not really dudes, but they are like supposed to be the the future titans, if you like, yeah. the theatrical they're the Olivia's titans. of their day. So they are the Olivia's of their day. Um, so they have to nail this kissing scene and the kissing mm. scene because it's pretty much just the two of them. Although we meet their producer right at the beginning, yeah. or the director actually, and she's struggling because she can't get them any further than this mm. kissing scene. Yeah, and they just can't do it. So she she just calls time on it and goes right. That's it. That's it for the night. That's it. Yeah. And Thomas goes off. Um, He's, he's going to go and buy a b- bottle of wine and he's feeling a bit rubbish. That he's like, why can't we get past his rivalry to just get this the, get this thing down? Mm. And then him, he and... Um, Adam goes Adam's, home. Yeah, Adam goes home and they start texting each other and, to- and Tom's sort of going, where are you? I bet, I bet you're in the bar at the old Vic. Oh. Yeah, but Adam's, he's at home in Covent Garden. He lives... Um, well, it's it's above Neil's yard, isn't yeah. it? Um, and it's an actual... It's not actually an apartment, but it's an actual... if. We've seen it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's like a really bright and beautiful apartment. Yeah. Thanks to Google Street View. Yes. <laughs> I don't think it was Google Street View. Was it? And I think, actually, in real life, I think the Monty Python had offices in that building or something. Did they? But it looks like a lovely building with, like, Yeah, it's all window, window and bright, bright, bright coloured shutters yeah. and, you know, and it's, um, a, it's a, I think it's a winter or an autumn night. Yeah. Um, and it's raining. It's very like it is actually outside right at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's grey and it's raining and it's miserable. And Adam's gone off home to just be annoying by the fact that he's at home. Yeah. And and basically then they decide, right, shall we just shall we just sort this scene out? Go go round I'm gonna come round your house and we're gonna sort this scene out. Mm. So so Thomas turns up. And and there's more there's more uh, bickering and Adam is playing the piano. Do you remember? Oh yeah. He plays the man that got away. Yeah. As popularized by Judy Garland, yeah. and the star is born. And I think, am I right? When he arrives, he's they have a bit of argy bargy about who's off script. Oh yes. And who doesn't need the script to make you know? Because I think Adam's script is out, so Thomas uses this as kind of. Yeah. Oh, you're you're still on the book. Aren't and he's you? like, I'm not on the book. And I think does he not start or threatens to start reciting every line in the play? Or something yeah. Like that? <laughs> and then he's like, Why have you written your motivations all over it? Goodness sake, yeah. just act. <laughs> yeah. So they do their. They decide to practice. Yes. And they and they just decide to to work on the kiss. On the kiss, and one thing leads to another. Yes. And that's 
and it leads to the bedroom. Yes, that's 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 and that's the story. But it well, the story goes a little bit further than that. But we're not going to tell you. Yeah, we won't go yeah, but it is that. it's that night, isn't it? Basically, and it's it's yeah. the, it's basically what is that what state is their relationship in after twenty odd years of friendship, twenty five yeah. years of friendship. Mm. And it, it turns into something more. Yeah, and it's just that it's a vignette in their lives. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think we did have people who really liked the characters and, and were hoping we'd do sequels. <coughs> yeah. But we did talk about it. Yeah. Um, but we felt like the story is this. Mm. Um and there were other things we could do with those characters, but they they would be nice again, they're vignettes. There's not mm. like we'd like them having a great time. A great life together, great careers, and maybe one day there's something in it. Mm. But one thing that we did do is we put quite a lot of theatrical references in it. Mm. And there were moments, there were little nods to Brecht and nod to Chekhov. And, mm. you know, there are lots of nods to different... And we had quite a few readers who really liked that. Because they felt like it really informed that theatrical setting. Yeah. Yes. I think, I hope. They know that my, I'm, glad, I'm glad that my A-level theatre studies came in handy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think as well it's got... Um, I'm sure it's got a bit... It's got a nod to the seagull in, because obviously I have to put a nod oh, to the yeah. seagull, because it's, it's the seagull. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know, maybe we might be the only people <laughs> to have put a nod to the seagull in an erotic gay short story. <laughs> <laughs> and don't worry, it's not somebody shooting themselves in the head, so... <laughs> no, that, no, that doesn't happen. But to me, I think the... For me, the, probably the original inspiration, if I can think back did come out of the fact that I just love theatre and I've always loved theatre um and by this point I I should say because by the time this podcast goes out you know that I love theatre because my first piece for theatre which is one man show being Mr Wickham Mm. is being produced in Bath and Stamford starring Adrian Lucas in September so that's a bit of a dream come true for a theatre fan absolutely yes um but there's no men kissing in that (laughs) (laughs) maybe they should maybe (laughs) Double, double the cast fee already. Two man <laughs> show. Um, so yes, that's where it came from. Um, because I have a passion for theatre. Yes, and if you read our other stuff, I mean, obviously we have the Captain the Theatrical coming out soon. Um, also this year in February we had um, <laughs> a late summer night's dream. Oh, a late summer night's dream. How did I forget the name? You're just looking at me like, what was it? And I was looking. Through, I was just looking back at Eleanor because I'm being. I think I'm being mildly allergic to cat vest, so I'm wheezing. I was looking at her like, what you need to know. Bye bye cat. It's time? my cat. That's a terrible thing. But she's shedding a lot. It's yeah, that time of year. I, I know. Like, so yeah. Too. So theatre does occur in what we do, doesn't it? It does. It does. I used to do. I, I, I trod the boards. Trod the boards. I, I was Dick Whittington's cat, in it's, fact. You would have been very allergic to me as oh. a, <laughs> a five foot seven cat. I'm oh, very God, allergic no. to you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the shade. The shade is real. There's buku shade in here tonight. Oh dear. Um, no, I, of course I jest. We just spent three hours in a car at a runway, so we obviously get on. <laughs> and made it back in one piece. Me mishearing things. Yes, comedy. Yes, another as yeah, another of my passions, aviation watching, and today I've shared it with Eleanor. Lucky old Eleanor. Um, but yeah, and I think as well for us that we have, it's very much in our Britmans. Yes. Thing isn't it? It's it's very very British. It's set you know it's Covent Garden, and I think in some ways Adam's flat is almost a character in itself. Yeah. So he lives in um. Doesn't he say that when he was at drama school, he lived in a like a damp 
one room that was decorated like a Turkish a Turkish souk. Yeah. And he's now lives in anything but a damp one room, you know. Yeah. He lives in a beautiful flat in central London. But it's still got that eclectic design. There's, you know, there's mm. mementos of his travels and he's got the beautiful William Morris wallpaper. And it's very much about, it's, to me, and I think it does come across on the page, mm. is that sense of coming in out of the rain and the misery into just yeah. this blaze of light and colour. Mm. And it's sen- the senses, basically. Because yeah. one imagines it's, it's probably got quite a nice aroma and, you know. Yeah, yeah. and you've got the thing of, like, like the little bit of sunlight that, that just manages to come in... <coughs> Through the clouds. Yeah, just it, as the sun sets. Yeah, yeah. Which is lovely. And I quite like doing the thing about um, Tom walking through London in the rain. Ha- having walked through London in the rain. Yeah, we all walked through London <laughs> in the rain. We all walked through London in the rain. And then he gets, he goes and buys some wine in a, he's feeling a bit sad. Buys like some an wine in a soup. <laughs> yeah, and some, some fans spot him, but he's, I think he's swearing at the phone at yeah. Adam, isn't he? When, yeah. So they get like a photo of him with a really cheap bottle of, well, not like clutching, you know, if you're British, you'll know it, the standard off-licence, off-brand carrier bag, yeah. looking scourly and wet through. So that'll be in the <laughs> sun tomorrow, you know. Yes, he's obviously got alcohol problems. Drink drugs <laughs> hell for TV's Tom Fox. <laughs> I remember, I mean, when we did talk about doing a sequel, and I remember saying we could do a thing like, how do they deal with having a long, long distance romance? If like Adam gets goes to Hollywood to be like to James be Bond, yeah, he's like, he's like James Bond, or he's or he's in he's in a sort of Marvel film or something. Yeah, and and, and Tom is doing something at work, yeah. something at the National for about three people in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> but I think ultimately for us, because we felt like I know obviously we write it, but we felt like their lives would be quite smooth and steady, and mm. as actors that they probably relate adapt really well to that. Yeah. To that long distance. And equally, because they both have success, that each would celebrate the other's success as well. Yeah. So, and it was that kind of thing of, do you throttle a plot out of it? Mm. And kind of, like, force them into a drama? Mm. Or do you say, for now, that's their story told for now, mm. and maybe one day we'll go back, but as it is, they're just having a really lovely life. Yeah. And I think it's that, really. Yeah, I think I think they would, they, they, you know, the, if you wrote another story, it would just be... Adam and Tom were fabulous. Yeah, were fabulous and had sex somewhere gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the thing with the short story in particular, is knowing that point where you say, that's finished. Mm. And sometimes, I should like to say, with this, it is a story, but it's also, it's not a story in terms of it doesn't have, yeah, it has multiple locations, but it doesn't have multiple days. Multiple no. locations are very limited. It is a vignette. Yeah. It's peak into the... Unity of time the, and place, yeah. though. Yes, yes. So, so you go. And I think it's the same as in my first short story that was published a year before, mm. um, The Angel on the Northern Line. It was the... That's the same thing. It's set in the 1950s, but again, it's set in one 12-hour period. Mm. And it mostly takes place in a house overlooking Hampstead Heath. Yeah, because I think in our other short stories that have done that, the, the Captain's Ghostly Gamble... Yeah, because again, although it's implied that there's hundreds of years, we see well him over that. maybe two hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I like that idea. I like that of just peeking in at someone. Mm. And it is, you know, it is obviously possible to tell a whole story in a short story mm. and quite a complex story. Mm. But I like this. I like that they're little vignettes. Mm. I th- I think that's what's satisfying about writing short stories but also reading short stories mm. like when you find because there's certain authors who are incredibly good at writing short stories mm. and as long as they can get over like not constantly giving you a sort of 
irritating cliffhanger ending. Yeah. <laughs> um, or or a twist. They always have a tw- no. It, then you you do have that thing of, in a few words, bringing people characters to life and their world to life mm. and telling their story. And I think there's quite a skill to that. Mm. I mean, um, we have done it differently. So in Captain's Cornish Christmas, yeah, it's uh, it's probably still only over. 24 hours, though. Yeah. It's, yes, it's not a long period. No, it's not. So it is no. something that... It is, yes, because it's... It's Christmas Eve afternoon yeah. Yeah. to Christmas Day night. Yeah. So it is, again, it's a 24-hour period, really. Yeah. yeah. In fact, it's really Christmas Eve evening to Christmas Day night. Mm. But mm. I think it plays well. Yeah, I think so. I think it plays out well. And it's something that when you're writing it, you say, well... Because all of them, I think we've probably thought, is there a novel in this? But then when you write it, you go, no, this is... And I don't mean this in a cocky way, but it's like it's perfectly formed. Mm. You know, it doesn't need to be 200 pages. This It's mm. 80 pages and that's all it needs. And the thing I, as well I remember about the actors was <coughs> we wrote it very quickly. And by very quickly, I mean we had a Skype probably just after lunchtime on a Saturday about the story. I don't remember that. We started writing it and we'd finished it by the early evening. It was winter it on was a Sunday quick. we were writing it. Winter afternoon, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, I it remember that. that fast. So, so it's you know you're talking about a story that's about a few hours in these people's lives, and in fact it only took a few hours to you know we we spent a few hours writing but it. But while they were drinking good wine, having sexy fun, we were bent over our computers. Yeah, writing. <laughs> but yeah, and I think that's, that's the same with a lot of our short stories, isn't it? Mm. That we write like that. But then I think I think it's good to write a short story fairly quickly because they're read fairly quickly. Yeah. So when I wrote my solo one, I spent. I came up with a really complex plot and it incredibly complex and then thought there is no way you could fit this into 200 pages, let alone no. here. And so pared it down to literally what was the first scene. Mm. And that and it wasn't written, it became a short story in and of itself. And like I say, when it's right, it's right and you know mm. it. And it's the same that sometimes you go, this could be a short story and then you think, actually, no. Mm. We owe this more, you know, this is, plot is massive. And it's, it's, I think characters will sort of tell you what they need. Mm. Because it happened a bit with the captain and the best man, that that started off, not, yeah. not a short story a as such, but a more of a novella. Yeah. And then actually... It became a novel. It became a novel. Yeah, it did. And it was quite easy because there were things in there that we'd already thought we could tease this out a bit more. That mm. it was very easy to make it into a novel. Mm. Very easy. Yeah, so if you, if you have a moment that, you know, a sort of... My darling, my darling. Right, fade to black. Actually, just put it on the page. <laughs> yeah. And also, there were other elements where after we'd written it, we'd said, oh, if, you know, this scene, wouldn't it have been nice if we'd done such and such? But then you think, well, it's written now. Yeah. And it gives you a chance to go back and revisit it and put those things in. Yeah. So there's a there's a wedding in it. Um, That's mm. not a spoiler. It's not the main character. Yes, because he's a best man. Yeah, well, exactly. Well, and we didn't show anything of the wedding, did we? No. And then we were able to go in a bit more and show a bit more of the wedding, which actually helped galvanise the depiction of the central relationship as well mm. because it let you see the characters in different settings and mm. formal and you know with friends and celebration and whatnot yeah and then we added a, a scene at an airstrip which was good. a whole scene a whole new yeah. character yeah and a whole new character yeah um, which again was something that we dis- we the characters had talked about the airstrip but we never saw it and now we actually mm. get to see it so when you know guy and josh were the characters are discussing this dream of guys of one day owning this airstrip, that now we've seen it and we can see mm. how beautiful it is. It runs alongside the ocean. It's, you know, it's a beautiful little airstrip. 
And I suppose, in a way, the reason why that works as a novel rather than a short story is because it's it's over several days, isn't it? That it's novel. over a week, yeah. isn't it? And in a way, you know, that's not that easy to squash into a small story. No, so. no. I think it worked before, to be yeah. fair. Yeah, it wouldn't have been awful. No, though. definitely not. It definitely did work, but it it just gives you more breathing space. So I you think. get more words from us, so... Yeah, more words from us. What more could you ask? Because <laughs> we're sort of segueing into The Captain and the Best Man, and we don't yeah. want to because we want to save that for its own podcast because we're going to have lots of exciting plain things and things like that. Um, So... An Actor's Guide to Romance, as we've said, set very much in the world of the London theatre. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've said that I love the theatre. Eleanor, I know you too have a passion for theatre, mm-hmm. as you say, it's a former thespian. Yes. So what's, what's been your, what would be your moment in theatre where you went, that's amazing? Oh, God, I, oh, oh, like oh I'm you. on the spot. I think possibly when I was, when I was doing A-level theatre studies... Um, I lived on the Isle of Wight and we had to go on a school trip to London and it was mm. it was there and back in an evening so mm. we got the very late ferry home and we went to see Trevor Nunn's Oedipus, the, Oedipus Rex and Oedipus at Colonus. Good heavens. It was, it was pretty hardcore. Good um, heavens. But it was, I mean, it was very impressive to see. It was at the National. Yeah. I don't think I'd ever seen anything at the National before. And, but the, the trouble was, it was my theatre, my, my drama class that went, but what happened is, is that there was one ticket that was on one side of the auditorium and all the other tickets were on the other side. And I ended up with a ticket all on my own. And <laughs> I, was, I was adopted by a very nice couple who could have been Tom and Adam when they were younger, perhaps, who basically like were going, you're a schoolgirl and you're all on your own. I was like, I am. Don't worry, sit with us. And, um, and what happened is, is that I fell asleep during Oedipus at Colonus mm. and there was this massive thunderclap sound effect and I woke up and screamed like, oh! <laughs> and they went it's alright I fell asleep too so that was good <laughs> so, so Trevor Nunn it was very ambitious and ever so good and everything but I fell asleep so <laughs> Sorry. well I love musicals everyone knows I love musicals oh, yes. but I'm not going to choose a musical because I feel like I need to choose something suitably theatrical yes uh, and my favourite play for many years was um, a <laughs> A 70th century rape revenge melodrama called The Changeling, which is fantastic, Ooh, yes. which is partially set in a lunatic asylum, and Ooh. it's got sort of like you know people having bits cut off them and <sighs> things like that. You know, but my favourite play got replaced in my twenties by The Seagull. Mm. So The Changeling, sadly, which I loved when I was a teenager and everything had to be bloody and saucy, mm. got knocked out by Chekhov's The Seagull, which I absolutely love, and. Would it be last year or the year before? I can't remember now. I'm old. I know not. My memory fails me. But I went to see The Seagull um, at the Chichester Festival as part of the Young Chekhov season. It was 2016. Goodness, two years ago. Three years ago. Chichester's a hike for you. Well, this is the story. I went to see The Seagull um, and it was a new adaptation by David Hare, directed by, I'm looking at the webpage, cause I don't, Jonathan Kent. And it was a whole season of Chekhov's early plays. Mm. And I went to see it because my pal Adrian was in it playing Dawn. Oh, right. It was, I don't know how to put this. It sounds a bit, I know it sounds a bit pretentious, but it was like a punch in the gut. It was mm. that powerful. Mm. And I found... Because The Seagull, to me, it's so... I find it quite profoundly affecting about the relationship we have with creativity mm. and the way that... How, does a, you know the relationship we have with with other people, and just sort of almost like human flotsam, how people can these 
you know that you lose your dreams it's about people some people who people who are compromising and mm. people who are soaring and then other people who just like lose their dreams become this sort of flotsam and sacrifice their integrity mm. and sacrifice what they dreamed of in youth mm. and i find that really really powerful and i went mm. to see it at chichester and i had a wonderful weekend it was one of the best weekends i've ever had and we also went on um completely unrelated to that but went on a tour around windsor castle with my good friend art and mm. it was just a really special weekend mm. And then I came back and I was telling my friend how good it was. And she was like, oh, can, let's go and see it again. So we actually went back to Chichester. Oh, God. Um, and luckily, Rick has family down that part of the oh, world. Right. So we stayed with them. And we saw it again and it was just as good. And then it transferred to the National. The National returns. Uh. And my friend Charlotte, um, who lives in Brighton, we wanted to go and see something at the theatre. And she wanted to see The Seagull. But I was like, oh, I've seen it twice. You know, Adrian's going to think I'm a nut. Um, but then she really wanted to see it, so we went again. And it was just as good. Well, it was just as good. But I don't know what it was. It felt like a slightly different production. It was a very slightly different cast. It was mm. still just as breathtaking. But I think the stage felt smaller. Because it was a vast staging and it had, you mm. know, it had a lake on stage. And it had a dining, full-size dining room and a drawing room on the stage. And there was rain raining into the lake on the stage. Oh, wow. And that still happened at the National, but it felt a little smaller. Mm. But afterwards, we went to the, went to the Actors' Bar in the National Ooh. with Adrian. And it was like a youth club from the 80s. It was brilliant. It was Because I would have always said Actors' Bar, I'd have thought, oh, wood panelling. Yeah. You know, um, very beautiful. And it was just, yeah, it was like a room in a community centre. Oh, no. So but it was a green room. bargain bar. prices. Yeah, it was fantastic. <laughs> So it was a really good night, actually, and I stayed on Brick Lane. Ooh. I stayed on Brick Lane in, like, a London equivalent of a capsule hotel. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Where it was like everything was controlled from a control panel in the bed. Oh, wow. Like the curtains and the TV and the computers and everything. So your capsule hotel was more whizzy than the actor's bar? Oh, gosh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> God, way more, way, way. But it was... I've never been backstage in the National anyway, so it was the first time. And we went to the stage door and we were like, how, do you, how does one get in? And Adrian just said, oh, just say you're with me. So we said we were with Adrian Lucas and thought they questioned us. So we went, all right, go on in then. <laughs> and just turned us into the, like, the great long corridors. And, you know, luckily, bizarrely, Celia Imry was going through them as well. I've, had, I've encountered so she, her backstage. she just took us to the bar with her because we didn't know where we were going. And she was lovely and helpful. Maybe she's backstage in all theatres helping people. I don't know. That's really weird. That was really weird. That's how, how strange. <laughs> I know, but it was really good because we'd never found it otherwise. I, I was... Uh... I wasn't. It, I had to go and sit. I went to see a production of *The Importance of Being Earnest*, and it was um, at the Crescent Theatre in Birmingham, where they they used to. It was a little theatre, so it's amateur, but they put on. They tried to put on professional yeah. quality plays. So you have to do. I mean, I did a three-week pantomime. No run. shade to amateur dramatics no, here. It's hard work yeah. because I was working nine to five, and what a way to make a living. I'd have to get. <laughs> I wasn't Sorry. even having to work till 5.30. I had to yeah, get but that to, scan in the sun. Get across Birmingham to get to the theatre, put on my, my makeup as this giant seven, five foot seven cat, and then do, do, do the panto. And then I got home at like 11 o'clock mm. at night. It was, it was exhausting. But when they op- the first play they did to open it was The Importance of Being Earnest. Mm. Yeah, and they yeah. had Celia Imry, I think, was on at the rep. So mm. they got her to come and she came on stage and went, oh, it's this lovely, this lovely theatre, yeah. lovely way. But she, her little boy, came with her, oh, and really? he was in the um, 
I had to get. I was. I was looking in the pigeonholes for something, and he was. He was curled up asleep oh, in the in office. A pigeon hole. Yeah, <laughs> in a pigeonhole and under somebody's coat. And it Bless like, him. That, that, that was rather sweet. Bless him. And he must be a proper grown up adult by now. <laughs> he is. He is a grown up adult by now. Yes, so I met him. And yes, so there we are. But I also the first time I actually met Adrian before we became chums, I went to see him playing Olivier, in yeah. um, Austin's Shadow at the Southwark Playhouse. And if you've never been to the Playhouse, it's tiny. It's something like, I don't even know if it's 100 seats. It's teeny, teeny tiny. And we'd already arranged a meeting, so I knew I was meeting him afterwards. But I hadn't realised how small it was. And that when you, you basically sitting on the stage. And there was a whole scene that he performed to my seat. Oh, no. But my in my head, I was like, right, I'm going to be meeting this dude after, so I have to, like, compose my most <laughs> engaged but not psycho fan face. So when he sees me, he's like, oh, God, it's her, you know. But it was really, really good. Mm. It was really good. And we were sitting opposite someone from, um, from TV, a comedy actress. And I won't name her, actually, because I feel mm. like it's a bit invasive. Mm. But she was having the time of her life. She was like bent double like a very very funny play but also very affecting play mm. but she was having the best time and she was like bent double laughing but then at the end she was proper like tears streaming out of her face because oh, it's about Vivian Lee and Orson, um, Orson Welles and Olivier ah. so it's got it's quite it's got it's moments of heaviness mm. but I can't remember the name of the actor playing Kenneth Tynan but he was brilliant and he was so good that he came out at the beginning and he just sort of wanders through the audience and starts talking mm. And he was so natural that Kathy, who was like my chaperone, <laughs> to keep Adrian safe, no. Kathy mm. was like my chaperone, said afterwards, she said, I didn't know for a moment if he was actually part of the play or oh, was just someone... Like random nut. Some random loud person, yeah. <laughs> but it was, oh, it was absolutely brilliant. I saw a production of A Winter's Tale mm. and it was in a play, it was in a theatre in a really odd bit of London. It was like near... Near Bank Station. Yeah. No, no. Was it somewhere? It was either a bank or embankment. Anyway, round that way. Um, and it was really, really good. And they had this bit like after the interval, they they had the uh the bit that's supposed to be a bit like a kind of peasants country fair yeah. thing, and it was done really well. It was like a country fair, and they had like a crap PA system. Yeah. With this guy, and he started doing his thing like, and, and it was a it was like it did seem a little bit not actually Shakespeare, but it was in the spirit of, and mm. it was very funny. And people walked out. Oh, no. And I was like, oh, oh at least wait. Don't, don't distract the poor man. But it, I, I thought it was good. So me, we, all, we all laughed. Edward Bennett played Tynan. And it was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. But then the smaller theatre went to see Adrian again. It was at the Thimbra, mm. which is above a pub. Um, we went to Cathy again. Roped Cathy in. We went to see this play called I'm Gonna Pray For You So Hard, which mm. is a one-act play about... Um, two act play actually so but it's it's a bit weird because it's like one act is an hour and ten minutes and it's a ten minute act mm. it's about a award-winning playwright who's like a drug addict and a drinker and he's having this horrifically self-destructive relationship with his daughter mm. so it's literally just those two people mm. and the whole play takes place essentially at their kitchen table Ooh. and there are only 20 seats in the theatre so it's a ri- and it's a hard one I mean it's great but it's really dark and visceral mm. you know and also very because of situations that you know take way too long to explain but very hard hitting mm. on some personal levels mm. and i've never been like you know you are on you're on the set you're in the play Ooh. you're sitting in the kitchen and it was cuz i knew it was small but again i didn't somebody said oh the fimbra's really small but i thought well it's not going to be smaller than southern is it 
guess again. <laughs> but it was a really lovely pub as well. And I would go back to the Fimber in a heartbeat. But Adrian was saying that there was obviously only two people in this play. Mm. But before that week, they'd had a play with like 12 cast members all wearing like full medieval armour. So I don't... <laughs> and he said like... On each other's shoulders. They just believe how they got in the dressing room, let alone how they fit onto the stage. <laughs> but it was, you know, it's a there's masterpiece. There's as many in the cast as there were in the audience. Yeah, it's an absolute masterpiece of staging. You know, mm. it was fantastic. Oh. And I also, I was very pleased, I was in the programme as a thanks in that. Oh, Rather nice, <laughs> rather nice moment. So yes, there are theatre memories, yeah. but also this was not a transformative moment. But I'll tell you, can be jealous. When I was a kid, we went to see a panto that had in it. Right, you ready for this? This was the eighties, so these were titans: <laughs> Stu Francis, <laughs> Sue Pollard, oh, Cannon and Ball, <laughs> and Little and Large <laughs> together on one stage. And I remember because my sister bought a biro yeah. that was twelve inches long. And it was blue and it said on it, oh, I could crush a grape. Oh, and there was a picture of Stu Francis's face. And on the top it had a light that when you wrote the light lit up. Oh and I bought word. a poster pack of Sue Pollard pictures. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, yeah I, loved, I loved Panto when I was little. But I was always like morbid fear of having to go on stage. I didn't want to go on stage. Oh, see, I was, I was, I was, I was caught. I, I'd be like, I desperately wanted to, and then as soon as they did that thing, like you know, when they love to do that thing in pantos where they come through the audience, yeah. which I did when I was was yeah. like, in panto myself, and I was then I'd just be like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> well, we went me. to see a few years ago. We went with our friends to see Harry Hill, mm. and when our friend um, booked the seats, we said to him, like, really, don't choose seats on the front. Don't choose seats in the ends of the row. Yeah, because you... But he chose up. seats in the middle. But when he came to, like... Because Harry Hill doesn't just come into the audience and pick people out. He'll, like, sit on your knee. Oh, Or no. things like that, you know. Or sing songs to you. He came along our row and we were, like, frozen. <laughs> and he stopped about two people down. But we did notice when he tried to cajole someone out they didn't want to go, he didn't... He left oh, it. Oh, that's all right, But he actually sang a whole song to someone in the front row. He just sat on the edge of the stage. And put a spotlight on this guy and sang feelings to him. <laughs> the Barbara Streisand song. But it wasn't even done as... No, memory, sorry. It wasn't even done as a... It was weird because it was a joke, but it was just a really straight version of the song. And this guy was just like, no. no and then he chose two people out of the audience to have um, a rapier fight using baguettes. <laughs> but he just went off stage and left them. Oh, no. And they were just standing on the stage like, you joking. Oh, no. But I, I thought... You know, because I've seen other comedians who don't leave it if the person doesn't yeah, want to. Yeah, it's a bit mean. I also, you know, if you ever see Stuart Lee live, yeah, he goes and sits in the audience and he'll say, to the, he'll sit next to someone and he'll be like, what do you think of this? Rubbish, isn't it? Oh, yeah. But he's not very funny anymore. He's lost it, hasn't he? I, I, I did once nearly end up in the front row oh. by accident. Um, I was in a play that was about drama students at university. Oh, in was the, it se- worthy? In the 70s. No, it was very... Well, it was sounds com- quite worthy. It was a comedy. Oh. And I can't remember who it was by. I, I want to say Alan Akebourne, but I don't think that's, that's right. That's I'll Google. I cannot remember who Other it was Other search by. engines are available. So it was, it was set in the 70s, and you had two blokes and three women. And bear in mind, oh, yes. all of the actors in this, except me, were Brummies. Right. Only one character in this was a Brummy. Who played the Brummy? Was it you? It was me, doing my, my Brummy accent. Um, and we had to do this bit in one of, one of the... Um, I had a dress that looked like something from Abigail's party at one mm-hmm. point, which was amazing. And I managed to stick my foot through part of the dress Yay. and nearly tripped over. <laughs> but um, there was a scene where the, the students were putting on a production of Julius Caesar. Mm. And it was, it was supposed to be like, you know, like a modern production. So we had to wear boiler suits with masks. 
And there was dry ice. I'm sure I've seen that. Play. Now, I think you can see where this might be going. So, so we had to walk across the stage like this. Hail Caesar, glorious Caesar. <laughs> In and as suits. I was walking across the stage and we had to be barefoot, I suddenly realised I put my foot out and then I was like, there's nothing under my foot. Oh, and then I, and then my I God. very nearly fell over the edge of the stage because I couldn't oh, see. Oh, my God. With these like tiny pinprick no, eyes no. and a mask and like dry ice. And then, and then what was really funny was afterwards, everyone went, that bit when you nearly fell off the stage, I loved how you did that. It looked really realistic. And I was like, <laughs> yes, it did, didn't it? Wasn't, wasn't that good? That bit we knew. <laughs> I think it's called a happy accident. But fortunately, it wasn't, <laughs> didn't turn into a full-blown accident because that would have been absolutely horrific. Oh, God, can you imagine? Yeah. Oh, oh no. Is it time to find out who's putting the fizz in our gin this week? I think it might be. So... so Who's putting the fizz in your gin this week? Well, it's a it's a joint fizz it's in the gin. It's a joint fizz in the gin because we we don't usually discuss this. No, but this <laughs> tickled. We are really sorry for laughing at this when you hear it. Uh, in France, um, a sixty-four-year-old man went for a ride in one of their one of their um, air forces very fast planes. I suppose you know if you imagine. Highway to the Danger Zone from Top, Top Gun playing in the soundtrack as this 64-year-old man sat in the back. And he accidentally well, set we up... Don't we don't how. know how. No, we no. don't know how. But... <laughs> By some quirk of fate, <laughs> the ejector seat <laughs> triggered <laughs> and ejected him. Yes. And I'm just looking it up online now. And we read this this morning and... We didn't laugh, but no. we kind of laughed. Yeah, we, once we knew that he was okay, yes, we, yeah, we allowed yeah. ourselves to have a good old laugh. And it happened it, this but... April, so he ejected himself. <laughs> and they don't know what happened, how it happened, mm. um, but it's being looked into. Yeah. And you may wonder why this is putting the fizz in our gin, and I'm not really sure. No, I just really. I, I think it's it's just something we're going. He parachuted onto the runway and he injured his back, but he is fine. The French Air Force spokesman said, rather coolly, I think, his health is not a cause for concern. Son santé, ce n'est pas un cause pour concern. There you go. In case you're wondering, in fact, that was such a good French. That accent. was so wonderful. Good pour concern. Pas de concern. Um, so they don't know what happened and they are investigating and they have partially grounded the fleet yes. while they find out what happened. But we think he may have said, Mon Dieu, Mon Dieu. Fourcamp, as, he, as we... he flew through the sky. <laughs> so, yes, but he will he will never forget that. And that perhaps I his family, family was stood there watching. Ah, papa, yeah. papa, il est en avion. Avion. <laughs> avion. <laughs> He's on an but avion. Yes, so that's who's putting avion. the fizz in our gym. Papa! And we yeah. now find out who is ejecting themselves out of the inkwell. Out of the inkwell. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> so, out of the inkwell. Oh, well, there's two things. We have just finished an edit of... Which one is it? Captain and Flirty Fireworks. Flirty Fireworks. We haven't mentioned the No. Well, we'll we? talk about it more next time. Yeah. Coming your way, guess when? Bonfire night. Yeah. <laughs> And we have just, a couple of hours ago, before we ate our lasagna, yes. um, put together the plot document for a new, very glamorous, glitzy yeah. story. It, it doesn't even have a work, it has a working title of just pilot. Pilot. <laughs> that's not going to be the title because it's terrible. Yeah. Set in the, the, the glamorous world of, it doesn't sound very exciting, long haul aviation. <laughs> 
So if we say instead, like the, the jet-setting world of a jumbo jet pilot, that yeah, sounds more exciting. That's, yes, but rather than long haul. If, if people yeah. are just going to think, crick neck, crick neck the yeah. person in front of you but, to put their seat um, back. It's, it's a male-female romance. Mm-hmm. It's got... It's, it's quite... It's going to be a little bit comedic. Mm. It's got a villain that you can hiss and a yeah. hero that you can cheer and maybe get yeah. a bit annoyed at. Yeah. And a plucky heroine. Yes, we like a plucky heroine. Yes, and it's it's got lots of gorgeous planes as well. Yeah. Which is good for me. It's got a very dramatic ending. Shh, shh. Which, which shh, stories shh, need. All stories shh, have dramatic shh, endings, shh, of course. Shh, shh. I won't say anymore. It's got a terrible, not at all dramatic ending. Shh. The, the ending's not dramatic. It's got a really dramatic ending. We won't tell you why, but... We've we've had cause to measure the Thames. Yeah. Just <laughs> <So> we, <laughs> that sounds like a euphemism. We've been measuring the Thames. We're measuring the Thames. Down there with our meter wheel, meter stick. Click, took took weeks clicks. to measure the Thames. Yeah. So yeah, so that's what we've been doing. What and, have you guys been doing? Yeah. Oh, you can't reply, can you? Oh well. Here's, <laughs> here's here's a short moment where you can tell us what you've been doing. You go, Thank go you. for it! Go you, go you, well done. That's brilliant. We're so proud to hear it. Yes. I felt like RuPaul, I'm so proud to hear it. I'm so, so proud. So I'm that's proud. us. That's us. And we are, I'm going to sign off and take an allergy pill. Oh. And we'll see you soon. Toodaloo. Bye. Bye. Find out more at our website, cousinharksdid.co.uk. And thank you, purple-planet.com, for the music.